I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we are talking about Justice Clarence Thomas. So grab your silent treatment. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Thanks for coming back. I know. Thanks we are constantly grateful. So grateful that people return time and time again to listen to our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> to listen to us ramble on and on. Rant and ramble. I scream so much. Sometimes I listen to old episodes and I'm like, is she well? And the answer is no, no, I'm not well. I'm very unwell. But this is Let's Get Civical. I am Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Walentowski. And today we are once again back on the road with our SCOTUS biopic. Biopic. What do we decide? I ask every time. And I never remember. I and I this. don't think we've ever actually decided. I love that we have bits. We do have bits. And this is our bit. I <laughs> do believe you're a comedian, though. 
No, no never heard of me. Never heard of me. I've never done comedy in my life. Uh, there are no jokes in this world. Anyways, it is the biopic, biopic, and we are tackling the really, how do you say, Oof. layered person that is Clarence Thomas. Layered. That is A, so polite. I'm to very polite. Clarence Thomas is layered. And B, like, so understated. I know. Oh, well, I don't know what the word is to say. We're going to talk. This is the most notes I've ever done mm-hmm. on a Supreme Court justice. But um, but there's he's his time. His time at the court has been long. Yes, it's been long. Accurate. Very, very. How do you say long? Forever. 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 Ever seen the Sandlot documentary. OK, so let's start at the very beginning we a very babe, good place to start. We baby babe Clarence Thomas. He was born in Pinpoint, Georgia on June 23rd, 1948. He is 71 years old. Great. His father left shortly after he was born, so he was raised partially by a single mother and partially by his maternal grandfather. I, we have that. I, I was raised by a single mother as well, Clarence. Look, you are you are the one who is more on the road to being a Supreme Court justice <laughs> out of the two of us. It's only I because have I a have shot. a degree from Columbia. That's I know. It, and it's not even a JD. Uh, well, it doesn't matter, but you could at least go and get a JD. Can you imagine if I applied to law school? They'd You'd be, like, be an excellent lawyer. Thank you for saying that. You're saying that because I, I have been feeling low and you're trying to you're trying to butter me up. <laughs> But they'd be like, Lizzie, Lizzie, what are you doing? You can't scream in the court. <laughs> I feel like, did you ever watch The Good Wife? No. Oh, there's this. With I Juliana Margulies? The Juliana Margulies. But there's in the, there's like a woman who, I forget her, she's, I forget her name. She's a well-known New York actress. Is it Christine Bransky? No. Okay, I just, <laughs> but sidebar, I did just watch my favorite film. Mamma Mia? Almost all time. No, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh. An Oscar award winning or should have been Oscar award winning film. <laughs> it is one. It's like in my top five. It is a perfect film. It is the a one that just came film. out. No, with Jim Carrey in 2001. Oh, Educate yourself. I, I think that's. Oh, my God. You're going to yell if at me. If you haven't seen I it. I haven't seen that one. You you're going to yell at me. There is no excuse. <laughs> there is no excuse. You do this despite me. You do this because you hate me. And it's an attack. If you want to understand me, you have to watch Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 2001. Ron Howard's best film. It's a Ron Howard film. Yes, it's a Ron Howard oh, film. It has okay. Molly Shannon. It has the very problematic Jeffrey Tambor. It has Jim Carrey. It has introducing Taylor Momsen, which if you are a fan of Gossip Girl, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Bill Irwin, so good. Oh, okay. Christine Bransky, so good. I would watch it for her alone. She's epic. Okay, okay. Anthony Hopkins is the narrator we didn't deserve. What? Inside of a snowflake, like the one on your sleeve, there happened a story you must see. Stop Hannibal That's Lefton. the first one. That's the opening line. That's the opening line. Is Anthony Hopkins talking about a snowflake? Hannibal Lecter narrates a Christmas movie? Yes. I fucking love it, that. It happens inside the snowflake. You go into the snowflake. The the camera takes you inside of a snowflake. Have you seen Producer Kate? Producer Kate loves it. And she's <laughs> seen the snowflake. It's crazy. It holds up. Have you? Okay. I will watch the 2000 Shemana Grinch how the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay. Will you watch Mixed Nuts? Mixed Nuts? Yep. 
Yeah, what's mixed nuts? It's so fucking good. Wait, is it on Netflix? I don't it know. It doesn't matter. Just I don't tell know. Me where it might it's be at. like $9.99 on iTunes now. It's Steve Martin, Adam Sandler. Is uh, it a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas movie. Okay. It takes place, it's based on a French film that has a totally different name, but the, it takes place in, in LA, like on Venice Beach, the Venice Beach boardwalk area. Mm-hmm. And like Steve Martin runs a suicide hotline. Mm. And they all work there. And Rita Wilson works there. Madeline Kahn's in it. <gasps> okay. So good. She's hysterical, I'm so, obviously. I'm I love Madeline um, Kahn. She's everything I've ever wanted to be. I'll watch it. Okay. It's, great. it's a deal. deal. Listeners, you're Done hearing deal. this now. We're making a deal to hopefully save this friendship. Yep. But weirdly, this episode <laughs> is so not about how the Grinch Christmas or mixed nuts. It is about Clarence Thomas. So we'll jump right back in to him. So when he was 16, he earned a spot at St. John's Vinny maybe seminary boarding school to pursue his dreams of becoming a priest. I feel like he sort of stuck with that. I well, we'll talk honestly, it's like I can respect why he decided not to take this route. It's just like everything from that moment. Right. And I'm like, what happened? It started so noble. But yeah, his dream when you're yeah, this is the other I thing. Feel- it's like 16 years old and you're like the priesthood is where it's at. Like, I'm just, you know, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. But I feel like people who go into the priesthood, it's like people who run for office or there's a little bit of a power trip. Sure. Right? Like, yeah. you're I mean, looking it is for a, a very little bit high of a power status trip. thing, yeah. you know? So, yes, he entered, he got a spot at this seminary boarding school. He was the first black student ever admitted to the school. So, wow. keep that in mind. All right. After St. John's, Thomas went on to attend. This is the name, Immaculate Conception Seminary, a little on the nose with the title. Wow, okay, Catholic. But abandoned his dreams of becoming a priest to pursue his passion for the civil rights movement. So he oh. was at this school, and this, this is like the civil rights movement is brewing, and there's a lot of anecdotes about how he was treated as, you know, a one of one black or people of color students mm. at this school, and eventually was like, I need to be a part of this other movement that's right. going on. I'm more needed there which sure so valid yep after the conception seminary school mm-hmm. uh he transferred to the college of the holy cross which weirdly is not a seminary school um <laughs> he was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be a priest anymore i'm i'm just gonna transfer to the college of the holy cross <laughs> and he graduated in 1971 with a degree in english literature so unusual. Very unusual. We've not seen an English lit degree yet, I don't feel, on the bench. Yeah, degree in English literature, which actually it really does make sense. He seems like a guy who yeah. knows his novels. He, yes. You know yep. what I mean? After that, he attended Yale Law School, very familiar, and he was one of the first black students to be able to attend this university. And he graduated with his doctorate in jurisprudence in 1974. Okay. We love. We're so back on track. We are with so back on track school. with Yale. Got yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Yale, sorry, Yale. Yeah, we jumped right back in on yep. track. His personal life, he has been married twice. He shares a son with his first wife, and with his second wife, he legally adopted his grandnephew. Oh. And he is Roman Catholic, which is interesting because he has been married twice. You know? Yeah. Catholics don't, they don't, I mean, you know, it's modern. You can, get, you can get a marriage annulled, but I don't know that he did that. All right. So that's that's a little bit of context. Let's talk about his road to SCOTUS. Because I bit. see a lot of assistant 
A lot of assistance. So yep. he graduates college in 1974. And then in 1974, he I mean, he graduates. He gets his law degree, not college. He <laughs> gets a doctorate in your experience. In 1974, from 1977, he is the assistant attorney general of Missouri. That is his first job. That seems. Out of college, which again is muy different. Importante. It is muy importante, but also it is normally we're seeing clerking, right? right. We're seeing clerking. We go yeah, and we yeah, clerk yeah. and whatever. But he jumps right into a assistant attorney general of Missouri. It's like okay, from 1977 to 1979, he is an attorney for Montesanto Corporation in St. Louis, Missouri. So a little bit of private practice. Like super like private, practice. private practice, like not even working at a private firm, working for a corporation as right. their legal counsel. Right. And then from 1979 to 1981, this is another one we haven't seen before. He becomes oh. the legislative assistant to Senator John C. Danforth. I feel like that's I don't even know a- what a legislative assistant is. Well, we'll find one and interview them. Okay. They- <laughs> I love it. We have solutions to our problems. They generally work with the like the staff and the elected official to draft the language of the bill mm. that they're working on, or they'll like go over other pieces of legislation. Sure, and, like, it's very. I mean, it it it's funny because that to me seems like. I mean, maybe they're just like lateral moves, but in different thing. Like assistant attorney general of Missouri, attorney yeah. for Monsanto, like legislative assistant. I always think of somebody that's like a little. It's not. An assistant position. Sure. There's usually like a legislative. I mean, I got him to DC. Maybe that was part That's, of the motivation. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be in Missouri anymore. How do you get to DC? Sure, I'll take the lateral move and sure, sure. Be a legislative assistant to take a, a senator. Pay cut for sure. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, your your private practice is yep. different. It's different. So that was from 1979 to 1981 with with the senator John Z. Danforth. Great. From 1981 to 1982. He was the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights in the Department of Education. Interesting. So just remember this time. From 1982 to 1990, he was the Chairman of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay. Then in 1990 to 1991, he became a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals of the District of Columbia Circuit. So we're once again back on track. Yep. And then July 1st, 1991, he was nominated to the Supreme Court by President George H.W. Bush to fill the seat of retiring Justice Thurgood Marshall. Okay. And then in October 15th, 1991, the U.S. Senate confirms Clarence Thomas by the narrowest margin in the 20th century, 52 to 48. And then October 23rd, 1991, he was sworn in as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. So, a lot of things to talk about. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about why he was confirmed with the narrowest margin of the 20th century. Thank goodness. Anita Hill, in 1981, began work at the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, where she served as legal advisor to Clarence Thomas. During that time, she claimed that Thomas began to make unwanted sexual advances, such as frequently discussing sex and describing pornographic films, in addition to asking her out on dates repeatedly. Gross. So in 1981, that's why I said, let's put a pin in this. This is when he's the assistant secretary for the civil rights in the Department of Education. It's during that time that we're looking at. 
And then according to Hill, the harassment briefly ended in 1982 when Thomas was made the head of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, a job in which Hill also worked for him. However, shortly after the promotion, Hill describes the harassment as returning until she decided to depart from the office in 1983. In 1991, after Thomas's appointment, Anita Hill testified in front of the Senate in a televised hearing where she recounted her sexual harassment experience. Very, I mean, when um, yeah. when Dr. Christy Blasey Ford testified, it was very much like being like, this is exactly like yeah. the Anita Hill thing. Yeah. So a lot of similarities in what was happening. A number of senators accused her of lying, including dear Joe Biden, who has <laughs> since had to apologize yep. for how he treated Anita Hill. But like, I mean, so much attacks were made on Anita Hill and there were reports of other uh, women who could have corroborated Hill's testimony, but they were never called in. Jesus. Yeah. In the end, Thomas was confirmed 52 to 48, the slimmest margin of confirmation in modern history. And then the addendum to that is Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed 50 to 48. Steve Daines was absent and Lisa Murkowski voted present. So, yeah, a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's really interesting to think like this sort of symptom of our society because he's been around so long, how like this feels unimportant now, even though it mm-hmm. it is so important. It is so important and so pivotal. It's still nothing that we've ever really rectified nope. in any way, shape or Nobody form. has. Yeah, it's it's oh, it's just like, well, I guess. I mean, it's like it's so interesting. It's like once they get through, once they get through the uh, the confirmation, once the Senate approves them, then it's like, oh well, I guess that's done, right? Uh, wash our hands of that one, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's it's really um, it's really problematic, you know? Yeah. I also feel like could we not charge him with a crime, or is you know like nobody will have, touch him now? Nobody will touch him now. No. No. Yeah, it's um it's it's a I think it's the the most obvious sort of example of harassment, sexual harassment against women not being treated as a crime because it's like kind of difficult to prove because right. it's a lot of things that people are like, "Okay, well he just said something. He right. didn't hurt you." Right. He didn't rape you. I right. love that. It's like it's not, it's not, like, he it's raped. not like you were raped. Yeah, it's not Come like on. Brett Kavanaugh raped Dr. Ford, right? right. It's right. like he was just trying to scare her. He was just trying boys to scare her. Boys. He was just on top of her. Like it's right. not because it doesn't meet this threshold of like physical harm. Right. It's therefore like not important, which I, you know, obviously us in the room we we know that that's Horrific, but that is like that's how sexual harassment is still viewed. Right, it's not taken as seriously as any other crime. Yeah. So yeah, it's like you really, you know, you really can't talk about Clarence Thomas without talking about Anita Hill. And I think a lot of people Nor should you. Well, I know, but I think a lot of I think now because he's been on the bench for so long, and he's quote unquote respected by his colleagues. It's like she is no longer a part of the conversation. Right. You know? And it's interesting because we weren't really in consciousness when this was happening, mm-hmm. but we were in conscious we were very much in consciousness when the Brett Kavanaugh stuff is happening. Right. Like, I wonder what people were feeling. Like this will happen again. Yep. Because we haven't solved the actual problem. No, of course not. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a larger societal issue of yep. is sexual harassment actually a crime? You say it is, but you won't treat it like it is. Is it something that you shouldn't be that should deter you from 
sitting on the highest court in our land. Yes. So what producer Kate just said to me, not on mic, was a very good point, which is after the Clarence Thomas hearings yeah. and the Anita Hill testifying uh, tes- testimony, the most women ever or yeah ever in the history were elected to office because women just get it they see it and they're like yeah okay it was obviously the men can't do this anymore it was called the year of the woman yeah yeah it was like a big thing and then after 2016 and the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing and then there was a big huge swath of women elected in 2018 right and it was again like the year of the woman and I it was funny hearing seeing all that over social media this like year of the woman thing because I was like we are fucking 50% of the population and we get a year? Yeah. A year? Well, I mean. A decade, motherfuckers. <laughs> I know. I know. We just, I don't even. <laughs> Why do you march? <laughs> Let me count the ways. Let me count the ways. So that is Anita Hill. I don't, I don't enjoy just condensing it down so, you know, no. into such small bits, but, you know. We kind of have to because ultimately we are talking about somebody who is on our Supreme Court and has been since 1991. Yep. So let's talk about times Clarence Thomas has spoken because that has to be a section since ye old Claire does not talk very often. So it seems to me, based on my research, that he talked not regularly but periodically throughout his first couple of years So um, in 2006, he spoke during a case of Holmes v. South Carolina, which was a case appealing a death penalty sentence. So I'm only focusing on the 2000s. In 2013, he joked about the competence of Yale lawyers versus Harvard lawyers, making it the first time he spoke in seven years. So between 2006 and 2017. I feel like he's not really committed to this job. He really believes that, like, you shouldn't... Justices shouldn't really talk, you know, like the person is coming in to make their case and either Mm. you you like know going in or you listen and you decide. But like there's I guess he just believes that there's nothing he could ask or that they maybe could say that would change his mind that much, you know. So he's just like, like he he literally thinks just the justices speak too much. That's so funny. I'm like, okay, Claire. <laughs> and then it, so, 2000, so that was in 2013. In 2016, three years later, he asked a question during the case. Oh boy, Vosine? As it was Voisin versus United States, which was a case involving a federal law preventing people convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence owning firearms. Um, it was the first real question in 10 years, if you don't count the small joke about the Yale versus Harvard lawyers in 2013. So it was the first real case, question about a case. Right. And then in 2019, he, you know, we've talked about this a couple times. He mm-hmm. asked a question during the Flowers versus Mississippi case, which is the, the in the dark oh, right. yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yep. After not speaking for three years. So that was like, you know, a huge moment in that because he doesn't uh, speak. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, like if he wasn't already so problematic i'd kind of be like whatever about the not speaking right. thing but on top of everything else i'm like the thing that you're just me, so ugh. so frustrating yeah literally every way that you could possibly be frustrating i the like the no talking thing wouldn't bug me except if his justification is like you've either made up your mind right if you've made up your mind why go why go at all 
You why why I mean, do you I think need they to hear have what they go? Like well, I think, right, but like then the whole thing is a sham for him anyway. If right. he already is like reading, he's already read the briefs and what look at looked at whatever evidence he's read the thing. Yeah, and he's made up his mind before he's even gone in. Yeah, or maybe it's like let me see what angle this lawyer takes it in, and that's what'll decide. You know, and it's right. just like oh, okay, he's talking about this. Great, I've already decided if he took it this way. No, right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I thankfully have no insight to Clarence Thomas's mind. But yeah, I don't. I just feel like, like it, you know, I, the oral arguments have to be a living, breathing thing to some extent. Like, yeah. you, you know, like. Otherwise, they're just. Otherwise, you're right. Why? What's the point what's of. What's the point of them? Of doing it in person. You could literally just submit your. Submit your documents, make a decision and right. have and like that would be, be it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, let's talk about notable cases. And because we start in the 90s, we do have oh a boy. handful of oh notable boy. ones. I'm just, we're just, I just cherry picked some, some that I thought were interesting. It really, in looking at, you know, a significant amount of the cases that he's been a part of, I realized that he and I have no common ground. <laughs> <laughs> we agree on potentially nothing. And I don't, it's so, it's so interesting because I feel like, you know, the other more conservative judges that we've t- we've covered so far, I'm like, okay, I can see, yeah. like, I could definitely have a coffee with John Roberts, and I feel yep. like we could find some common ground here. Gorsuch would be super interesting to Gorsuch talk to. Gorsuch would be super interesting. I could feel totally like I find-, find common mm-hmm. ground there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but ye old Claire, I, phew, I don't know, man. I don't know what we would talk about. I hope he likes football because I don't. I don't have anything. He for sure likes football. He feels like I got a some. I got guy. some fun facts. Great. I got some fun facts at the end. Don't worry. Great. Don't worry. So, first big notable case that Clarence Thomas was a part of was <laughs> Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey. This was in 1992. This is considered to be one of his first no- notable cases. And this case was about the Pennsylvania legislator admitted amended its abortion control law in 1988 and 89. Among the new provisions, the law required informed consent and a 24-hour waiting period to the procedure. A minor seeking an abortion required the consent of one parent, and a married woman seeking an abortion had to indicate she notified her husband of the intention to abort the fetus. These provisions were challenged by several abortion clinics and physicians, a federal appeals court upheld all of the provisions except for the husband notification requirement. And so in a five to four decision, SCOTUS upheld all but one provision notifying your husband. And Thomas joined the dissent, weirdly enough, written by Scalia, written by Scalia which indicated that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. Oh, my God. <laughs> So it's like it's so interesting that he dissented on this case that I I already don't agree with, you know, for so many, you know, for a 24 hour waiting period, all of this really horrible things that people try to do to women seeking abortions. And I love that he was like, I dissent for this ruling, which is a really horrible ruling. Right. But I dissent of it because overall Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And it's just like Clarence. <laughs> is that like is his dissent basically that argument? Mm-hmm. Damn. So that was his first notable case. Okay. Really coming out with Take a bang. Really taking a personality case for sure. Yep. So this next uh, notable case was Romer v. Evans in 1996. 
The Colorado voters adopted Amendment 2 to their state constitution, precluding any judicial, legislative, or executive action designed to protect persons from discrimination based on their, quote, homosexual, lesbian, or bisexual orientation, conduct, practices, or relationships. Following a legal challenge by homosexual and other aggravated parties, the state trial court entered a permanent injunction enjoining Amendment 2's enforcement. The Colorado Supreme Court affirmed on the appeal. And then the Supreme Court, in a 6-3 vote, upheld that the amendment, which was like not enforcing people being protected, violated the Equal Protection Clause. And Thomas joined Reinquist and Scalia in dissenting. So Colorado passed this amendment that said we nothing can protect there's nothing mm-hmm. that the state legislature no executive the governor nobody can, can do to protect lgbtq people right and it made its way to the supreme court and the supreme court struck it down mm-hmm. but thomas obviously dissented dissented yep He's i'm telling you giving man i'm telling you i'm I literally i and listeners i know we have a lot of there's a lot of bias right now because there has to be yep. but i really looked for cases where I could be like, okay, okay. I mean, you know, like even ones where it's like, I'm like, I don't fully agree with you here, yeah. but I understand your argument. Right. With him, I'm just like, really, Clarence? Really? I think really? He, I think he's just like a straight up conservative. Well, yeah. I mean, like, we'll talk about how conservative he is, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, this honestly, the next one that we're about to talk about, I guess it's like the most I can get, like not even get behind, but the only one where I can be like, okay, fine. Like, sure. Right. Like, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> where I'm not like mad. I'm just like, fine. Right, right, okay. right. Exasperated. And the uh, and the case I'm talking about is obviously Bush v. Gore of 2000. So if you don't know Bush v. Gore, this case was where the Supreme Court of the United States reversed the Florida Supreme Court's request for a selective manual recount of the state's U.S. presidential election ballots, effectively awarding Florida's 25 electoral college votes to George W. Bush, giving him the election win. And you guessed it, Thomas joined the majority. (laughs) So that's the one where I'm just like... I just the like, thing that makes me so angry about this kind of thing Bush is v. that <laughs> Bush v. Gore is that were it not for like what was do we know what the breakdown was? Bush v. Gore was it was a lot. It was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven to two. Oh wow! Wait, who were the two dissents? Stevens and Ginsburg. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Thanks. Fun fact. Yeah. About the seven to two ending her dissent, RBG famously wrote, "I dissent" instead of the commonly used. I respectfully dissent. I dissent, period. Get it. Period. Get uh, it. You just, mm, 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 mm. can't wait for her episode. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> oh, he's so much fun. <laughs> I just think the people who are deciding this, Clarence Thomas got to the Supreme Court on a 52 to 48 vote. Yeah. That is four votes. And they get to decide, I just, yeah. that there isn't a recount. Right. That's what they, they wanted a recount. Right. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting when you think about, oh, at the end of the day, nine people are making right. decisions. Yeah. And like, granted, you can argue, well, they've gone up other courts. But yeah, it's like when you think about like, you know, legalizing gay marriage, right? Right. Nine, not nine, five people said yes. Right. Right. Five people. Right. Only five people. And yeah. that and that changed the lives of 
hundreds of thousands of people. Yep. Because five people are like, yeah, you know, this is in the Constitution. Right. And that's it. It's so it. it is. I think, you know, I, I fight with the Supreme Court all the time and I respect it. it but it, it you really have to sort of like it really is a lot. And I and I really don't agree with some of the justices who are like, you can't take in what the impact could be. Like you right. just have to focus on the Constitution and what's there. And I'm like, I, I get why you're saying that. But also like, no, you have to take in the impact. Right. Like Gor- that was Gorsuch's in- argument, right? Yeah. For I yeah. forget what case it was, but yeah. it was, but he was like, he's very like you just yeah. have to focus. Like you, you're not gonna like every decision you make. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to like every decision you make, but I am asking you to think of the impact, right? To consider it, right? Because it, how is that not an influencing thing? If you're only focusing on a document that was written in the 18th century. By a bunch of 30-year-old white men who had scurvy. Right. (laughs) When half of us weren't even allowed at the table. You know, they all had syphilis. Like They owned people. Like, these people owned people. Right. It's like, you have to take in... Because they took in... Right. They took in the impact. Every decision that they made. Was all about taking in the impact. Yeah. You know? That's why why people... That's why women didn't have rights. It's why we had slavery. It's because it was better for them. Right. You know, and it's the impact just, of taking those things away would have been too great. Right. It's also just such a false argument. I mean, for Gorsuch, I feel like it's maybe a little, I think he probably does feel that way and actively come to decisions based on this principle that he has, mm-hmm. of like not, but for other ones, it's, you know, for, if Clarence Thomas was to make that argument, it'd be like, well, that's just a nice argument for you. Like you're yeah. trying, like, that's just a cover up. Yeah. We can't, you know, we can't think about the impact. Yeah. It's like, no, you ha- you have to. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like there's a, this level of, oh, now I have to turn off my humanity. And, and you simply just can't. You simply just can't. You know, when you're dealing with, like, you know, with things like trans discrimination in the workplace, you can't turn off your humanity. No. That's the whole reason it's there is because people who are human. Right. Who feel things. That's why are, you're there. That's and, why you're there, honey. And it's not an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Who knew Bush v. Gore would really bring this up? <laughs> Okay, moving along because there's still a couple more interesting ones. So this next one is Grutter v. Bollinger or Bollinger. Sorry. This is in 2003. It's probably Bollinger. Bollinger. So this case was in 1997, Barbara Grutter, a white resident of Michigan, applied for admission to the University of Michigan Law School. Grutter applied with a 3.8 undergraduate GPA and an LSAT score of 161. She was denied admission. The law school admits that it uses a race as a factor in making admissions decisions because it serves as a, quote, compelling interest in achieving diversity amongst its student body, end quote. The district court concluded that the law school's stated interest in achieving diversity in the student body was not a compelling one and enjoined its use of race in the admissions process. So SCOTUS ruled in a 5-4 ruling that because race was one of only many factors that an admissions board take, takes into consideration that this case did not violate the Equal Protection Clause or the Title VI of the Civil, or Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So basically this woman, who was a white woman, was like, I've been discriminated against right. because they're taking race as a factor and because I'm white, I didn't get into this law school. Right. And took it up. And the Supreme Court was like, no, because this is one of many factors. So... This was not you were not discriminated against, basically. Right. I feel like that's a hard argument to make, though. Like it. Well, sure. Uh, like, I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> how could you 
how could you pinpoint? I mean, I guess what they're saying is, how could you pinpoint that race is the reason that you didn't get it? Because it they be made your... a statement, basically. Oh, that, oh, that it was. Well, no, that they that that race is something they take into consideration. So because they made that statement, she was like, "See, they right. take race into consideration. I have all of the requirements. Right. The only thing I don't have is that I'm not a person of color. Right. So, but the Supreme Court was like, which is totally something colleges do, and like you can argue the validity yeah. of that. But like, I get why. I don't know. Like, I might have ruled a. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I would have done. I feel like because they said it's one of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's what the Supreme <laughs> Court said. They said in 5-4, they were like, because it's only one of the things, right. this isn't discrimination. No. Because there were other things that were taken into consideration. Right. Thomas, right. who is historically very opposed to any affirmative action stuff, very staunchly wow. opposed to affirmative action, he was in the dissent. So he thinks that she was discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Which then backs up his belief in, or no, he doesn't believe in affirmative action. Interesting. Okay. I mean, his logic holds. Sure. It's weird. Yeah. This is, right? These, this is, I can't, I can't, I couldn't. You can't even talk about it. I don't even know. You can't even get words out. I don't know how I would do in a face-to-face conversation with Clarence Thomas. I think I would have to ask him, like, how do you feel? Like, I would just ask him very innocuous questions to see if I could try and get at what is his actual underlying kind yeah. of humanity. Like, how do you feel about but that's the thing is pineapple I don't... on bacon pizza? Or like, how do you right. feel like, about like, food? what's your, like, how do you make your coffee? Yeah. Like, if he says, you know, I drink a black, like, it's like you understand a little bit more about a human being. Yeah. Like, I'm very much a cream and sugar type of person, and I feel like that's obvious from my demeanor. For sure. I'm, I drink a black. See? Hardcore. Hardcore. Hardcore parkour. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving along. We only have a handful of cases left, but okay. I will blow through them. So Lawrence versus Texas in 2003. This was a landmark Supreme Court case that struck down a sodomy law in Texas. In the previous case, Bowers versus Hardwick in 1986, the court upheld a Georgia statute and claimed that there was no protection of sexual privacy in the Constitution. In a 6-3 opinion delivered by Anthony Kennedy, the court held that the Texas statute making it a crime for two persons of the same sex to engage in certain intimate sexual conduct violates the due process clause. This case would pave the way for the legalization of gay marriage. And Thomas joined Scalia and Rehnquist in the dissent. So that holds up. Next up, you know what you love it. Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission 2010. This will surprise nobody, but Clarence Thomas joined the 5-4 majority opinion, which stated that the prohibition of all independent expenditures made both by the unions and corporations was invalid and thus was not applicable to spending such as that in the movie. Yeah. I hate this case. I hate this case. Moving on. <laughs> Obergefell v. Hodges. We've talked we'll talk about, about it. it at some point. 2015, legalizing same-sex marriage. Thomas was, you know it, you love it, in the dissent. He joined Roberts on his dissent and also issued his own. So in his own, he argued that the majority opinion stretched the doctrine of substance, substance, substantive, substantive. Yeah, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Stretched the doctrine of substantive due process rights found in the 14th Amendment too far and in doing so distorted the democratic process by taking power from the legis- legislator and putting it in the hands of the, the judiciary. 
Additionally, the legislative history of the Due Process Clause, both in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, indicates that they were meant to protect people from physical restraints and from the government intervention, but they do not grant them rights to government entitlements. Justice Thomas also argued that the majority opinion impermissibly infringed on religious freedom by legislating from the bench rather than allowing the state legislator to determine how best to address the competing rights and interests at stake. It's just so funny how he finds arguments that suit his needs, no matter what they sure, are, sure, no sure, matter sure, what sure, kind sure, of sure. bullshit they yeah, are. Yeah, he really, he really is a man of like, we should not be doing this. And right. I'm like, what are you, what should you be doing? Right. What should you be doing? We shouldn't be asking questions. We shouldn't right. be ruling on this. We right. shouldn't be what, okay, why did you accept this job? You clearly don't want to do it. Right. Okay. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. sure. All right, last one I will talk about. We've talked about this before. This is Box v. Planned Parenthood mm. of Indiana and Kentucky in 2019. There were two issues in this case. One was related to the disposal of fetal remains. And the second provision was the Indiana law barred the knowing of provision of sex, race, or disability selective abortions by abortion providers. So what happened when it went into the upper courts is that they overturned the you can't have an abortion if you're doing it for these reasons, but upheld the fetal remains part of it. And so that went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided not to hear the second part, which meant that what the lower court ruled of, you know, you can have an abortion no matter what you want to do it for. Yeah. And then the Supreme Court ruled that, yes, the the state has a key interest in oh, disposing remains. of remains. Yes. Right, right, right. So the reason why I bring this up is because in Thomas's opinion, where he discussed the second part of the case that they decided not to take up about having abortions for reasons of sex, race, or disability. And in this opinion, we talked about this in our... Um, yeah, mm-hmm, we ta- yeah, I remember this. Where he equated the abortion practices to that of the eugenics movement. Uh, and I mean, like, you know, I read this, I read his opinion and he's a, he's a great writer. Yeah, he is. And that's like, that's definitely part of it. It's like, he is an excellent writer and he is excellent at making an argument. Mm -hmm. And he makes this argument very well. Obviously I don't don't agree with that at all, but you're reading it and you're like, okay, sure. I see exactly what Mm -hmm. you're doing here. And it felt a little bit like he was giving people who are coming up with abortion case like to overturn abortion cases or to get rid of abortion he was giving them the keys to the castle which is do you overturn roe v wade maybe not but do you regulate the shit out of abortion and make it near impossible to get it with like with the most extreme circumstances making you allowed to be which is like maybe you're gonna die and even then we'll see we'll see so um it's a really interesting case, and I think we will see more of these arguments about the eugenics movement popping up because yeah. of it. That's my prediction. Okay. Oh, so those are some of his cases. Oh my god, that was so depressing. I know I'm depressed, but let's talk about some fun facts about him. Is he fun? I don't know. But you know, Clarence facts. Clarence facts. Clarence facts. <laughs> So on the Martin Quinn score, which you talk about, Thomas is ranked, unsurprisingly, as the most conservative with a ranking of 3.09. To give perspective, the next most conservative judge is Justice Alito at 1.74. Sonia Sotomayor is ranked 3.28 on the liberal side. 
but so yeah. the closer you are to zero, the, the more, more moderate, moderate you are. are. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it's Clarence Thomas at 3.09, then Samuel Alito at 1.74. So there was a huge wow. gap. Wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thomas agreed most with uh, Alito in 2018 and the least with RBG and Sotomayor. They were tied. Mm. He registered for the draft in 1966. Okay. However, he ended up being rejected due to a curvature of the spine. You know. It happens. Hey, at least he registered. He did. Portraits of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass hang in his office at the Supreme Court. Interesting. Sure. Great. He is the only <laughs> Supreme Court justice to have served as Grand Marshal at the Daytona 500. I feel like this is a very Lizzie-specific fun fact. Uh, well, I saw that and I was like, what? <laughs> Uh, justices, there are people too. Uh, there are people too. Along with being an avid NASCAR fan. Interesting. He is also a lifelong fan of the Dallas Cowboys. That is a football team. And guess what? I hate them. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to our listeners who are Dallas Cowboys fans. I'm so sorry. This is not about you. This is not about us. I just don't like them. But guys, look, we can overcome anything. Okay. I love you so much. Okay. Finally, he wrote a book in 2000, 2007 titled My Grandfather's Son, where he addresses his childhood, career, and his sexual misconduct allegations. Does he apologize? No, of course not. Tom, I don't think Clarence Thomas has ever apologized for anything in his no, life. No, he wouldn't apologize for hitting an old lady in a crosswalk. No, he'd be like, look, constitutionally, it's not there. You it's know? not there. But that is our episode on Clarence Thomas. I mean, you know, guys, we got to do these. We got we to gotta, we gotta talk about him. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about him. He's, he's made, a person on the court. He is a person on the court, and he's been a, involved in so many intense decisions. Yep. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's really tough sometimes when, when, these, when people are in these positions, but we have to at least talk about why he's there and what he's up to. Yep. Because uh, he's still going to be around for another for 10 while. years easy. 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 He's only 71, He's which is pull, not old. No, it's not. He's going to pull an RBG and be like, I'm sticking around to the bitter I'm end. sticking around. I'm sticking around. But guys, that is our episode. We love you so, so much. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can hashtag subscribe. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.